0: Hello and welcome back to the Rough Trade Edit podcast. This week, my special guests are the sons of Raphael. Brothers Laurel and Ronald Raphael dropped by to visit me at Rough Trade East for a socially distanced interview exploring the making of their long-awaited debut album, Full-Throated Messianic Homage. Out now on Because Music. Described as a sci fi wall of sound and an orchestral fantasia that blossoms into a psych pop explosion, the record is also notable as being the last piece of production by Philippe Zadar before his very sad passing back in 2019. Um, The album has been seven long years in the making, and personally for me, it was just so wonderful to speak to a band face to face in the flesh again the passion these two have for their music and their art is really so evident. So please check out my chat with them coming up very shortly. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I did hosting it. So once new edit album drop-ins this week and kicking off with the big one, My Bloody Valentine signed to Domino Records earlier this year in conjunction with announcing some much-needed reissues. One of these, the band's second full-length album, is a Rough Trade edit edition for this week, released in 1991 and widely regarded as a masterpiece. Loveless overwhelms the senses and is best experienced as a whole in one sitting. Here, the band moved further towards a music of pure sensation, creating textures and tones that could be felt as much as heard. My personal favourite track on this album comes in at number one on the track list and likely is a shared favourite amongst many of you. It's called Only Shallow and it goes a little like this. M.D. Mokhtar returns with new album, Freak Victim, which boldly reforges contemporary Saharan music and rock music by melding guitar, pyrotechnics, full blast noise and field recordings with poetic meditations on love, religion, women's rights, inequality and Western Africa's exploitation at the hands of colonial powers. Not only the wildest shredder in the Sahara, but a revolutionary voice for a new generation, not only in Niger, but throughout Africa. A really radical and captivating listen, uh, this record. So, check out this track, This is Emdou Mokhtar, with the title track Afrique Victim. <laughs> Portico Quartet's forthcoming new album, Terrain, is a three-part suite drawing on American minimalism and ambient music alongside their own rich heritage as they explore new musical vistas. Of the album, the band described that the core of it is having a repeated pattern around which other parts move in and out and start to form a narrative. We used to do longer improvisations not dissimilar to this around the time of our second record but on Terrain we've really dug into it and explored that form. It is certainly a really powerful statement they have here and it's a really exciting new chapter in their very accomplished catalogue. The dialogue of the instrumentation is really vivid and immersive um, and it is an album to please I think both fans old and new. So it is released this Friday, the 28th of May. Do not miss the Rough Trade exclusive blue vinyl version. And here's a little sample for you of a latest single, Terrain 3. Hailing from North Yorkshire, Billy Martin's third album, Flora Fauna, saw her learn to nurture herself. The new material blends her signature hushed resonant vocals with a rapid pulse and really rich instrumentation. As you move through this album, the songs shift in and around different textures, including Billy's really soft vocal. Um, It's an overall transportive collection, perfect for those slow mornings and laid back evenings. Uh, Here's a little... Taste for you of the last track on the album which is my favourite, this is Billy Martin and Aquarium Do
1: you wanna go to the aquarium I feel
2: I lately wanna drown Sit down stare out, shut up
0: Swim that wraps our edit highlights for this week. You can, of course, as always, discover all of the music mentioned in the show as well as all of the music I sadly don't have time to mention in the show at Raftrad.com and, of course, in our stores. Now, the clock is well and truly ticking until the first Record Store Day drop of 2021. Saturday, 12th of June is the date for your diaries and once again sees our stores play host to a brilliant batch of limited edition vinyl, including reissues, special live LPs, exclusive RSD colour variants and much, much more. Only available, of course, at your local independent record store. All the details on what's what at Rough Trade can be found on our blog. I will pop the link in the show notes, but do check back in these coming weeks as we count down to the big day and share fresh news and updates ahead of the event. Let's hope this bloody awful weather perks up for it, hey? Nobody likes a soggy tote bag. So my guests this week are Ronald and Laurel, a.k.a. the Sons of Raphael, whose debut album is Finally Here, a complex and lavish body of work that fascinates and mystifies. I dug a little deeper, cocooned, though distanced, in our podcast studio at East. They're the sort of guys you could sit and converse with way into the twilight hours. They have so many stories and theories and information to share. So a big, big thank you to them for indulging me. Please enjoy this. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you in the next one. Guys, so Laurel and Ronal, Sons of Raphael, welcome to the Trade Edit podcast.
2: Thank you for having yeah, us. You do.
0: Thank you. Um, I was chatting to you earlier uh, when we met at the front of the store, just saying that you guys are my first physical, in the flesh um, band to come in and be interviewed for me in over 14 months now, which mm-hmm. is exciting for me, but also feels quite surreal to be back in here rather than being behind... A computer doing Zoom interviews. But um, thank you for
1: being my first. Oh, a pleasure. I hope it'll be entertaining
0: enough. I don't doubt it, I don't (sighs) doubt it at all. (laughs) Um, but we're here to chat about your debut full-length album, Full Throated Messianic Homage, which is released 21st of May on Because Music. Um, but first up, congratulations on such a fabulous album. We are super, super thrilled to have it finally here and available at Rough Trade. I think we also have an exclusive kind of version where there is a signed 7-inch that comes with it, so thank you very much for that.
1: Thank you. Um, No
0: doubt they will be flying off the shelves and not hanging around for long, as soon as this record is out. Absolutely. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: But it's been well publicised that the album took kind of seven years to make. Um, And I read a statement from you both that said, and 2,000 years of suffering accumulated within it. Um, so I wondered if we could dig a little bit into the recording period and kind of how the scope and the themes of the album kind of evolved over those years. Um, and is the album that we hear today very different to maybe what you envisaged when you first set out to kind of write it?
2: Um, I think it's actually we realised our exact vision, which is kind of interesting. It's it's the exact thing that we hoped for. So. Um, it's not different at all, but it did take seven years and, and things really changed in those seven years, starting with yeah. him being in boarding school yeah, when he started. It started in, when I was still in boarding school. Uh,
1: and uh, and yes, and things were different. I think, for instance, in boarding school, I wrote songs like Yeah, Yeah, Yeah and Devil, Devil. Mm-hmm. But then later, when, when I was uh, you know, at Oxford... I wrote Siren Music, I wrote who Makes the Morning Darkness, it dictates the the way that you write, I think, the, the, these different points in your life.
0: And how did, so when, if you were apart part through quite a lot of that kind of early period of you yourself were at university, how did you kind of keep the momentum going of communicating, kind of um, creating the record and who did the writing who did the you know how did you kind of share those ideas
2: well ronel did the writing when he was in boarding school and university and then when the songs were basically written we started producing which took another two years so Mm -hmm. and that was a very different process because we spent some time in la and paris and um uh recorded everything ourselves and did all the arrangements so it was a very long process which ended up um yeah, with, with mixing in Paris and then it took when we the, the moment we finished mastering, um we spent another two years working on the rest of the stuff, the artwork and videos and um it didn't end, it's still
1: ongoing. Some yeah things actually, that yeah. we're doing with this yeah. album, it's unbelievable. It never oh, ends. Wow.
2: Yes. But um, it's but it's out in two weeks, which, yeah, is, that's which right. is perfect.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's come um, up this year's just flying, isn't it? It's yeah. probably felt like it's come up. But people really can quickly.
2: probably hear the change like they can probably tell the songs that were written when you know he was still in boarding school Mm -hmm. and the songs that were written later on lyrically i think it's very different and
1: yes yes absolutely and you know even by this time we have a a second record written and this record is coming out now yeah you know by the time the second record is out there'll probably be a third record we tend to work this way i think that um we've released by the time we've released eating people that was our first release it's already been a few good years Mm -hmm. you know and 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 all we wanted all we ever cared about was was the album yeah
2: it's uh, the only thing we had in our minds well hopefully the second one wouldn't take seven years um because we don't want to do that again
0: yeah i was going to say like do you kind of look back and think about when you kind of first started approaching writing your debut if you ever could have imagined that it was going to take seven years would that have been very daunting for you or do you, um, are you very grateful now for the experience that it I think, think we're, we're grateful for you. the
2: experience
1: and we have patience for
2: a uh, long-term yeah. objectives mm. good things
1: take time
0: yeah
1: um, yes and they don't come easy yeah we, we understand that but we're not we're never gonna make another another record like that
2: yeah it, again it's all about not compromising on things and I think our attitude with the first album was we have a vision uh, we're going to realize it no matter what it takes. Mm-hmm. And we did. We didn't compromise about anything. Um, I think and this is why it took yeah. so long. Yeah. We're um, dictators when it comes to making music. Yeah, When it comes okay. to producing
1: music, uh, we don't really give up on anything. Yeah, We don't compromise
2: at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our, our vision was very, very, very specific. Like everything, the way we recorded, the instruments, the the people who, you know, played some of the instruments, everything was... Extremely specific. Like we you know we, we 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 drove for nine hours just to record one synthesizer for like a twenty seconds part in wow. um one of the songs or you know went to Los Angeles because we were so specific about the kind of gear that we wanted to use. Yeah and, and the session of,
1: musicians, you know, yeah. we managed to track down uh, some of the greatest session musicians in the world you know uh, yeah. and a lot of them actually initially when we started when we were seeking them out we realized that a lot of them are dead right now and but some so
2: of them are still um some are of still them are there still in, alive. in Los I mean, Angeles right.
1: yeah we yeah. we had uh, all sorts of uh,
2: all sorts of people we and, had a professional uh, whistler on the album she a um, professional whistler yeah yeah oh
0: my god is an indigenous greatest existed. whistler in, yeah. in
1: LA and probably in the world uh, yeah, and she whistled in uh, in her song uh, "Oh Mama" along mm-hmm. with her dad. Actually, he's he's also yes, whistling. Because there. we have an interesting
2: yeah. rule when when you do something which is like very hi-fi and professional, you should um, have a contrast. It out. Yeah. yeah, right.
0: Okay.
2: So if we have the you know the professional whistler, we also have our our dad who's who's pretty good, but he's not professional. And, and if we have a Moog modular, then we also have
1: our dad playing like a Casio keyboard. keyboard organ, yeah. You know, which okay. is uh,
2: yeah, which is just. Kind of a cheaper, yes, um, a yeah. cheaper version.
1: Wow.
2: So fair, right. if, even you know a, a sixty-piece orchestra, rubber at the same time we'll use a string machine from the seventies. Which... Oh
1: uh, yeah, the, the best example is, for instance, uh, in our song "Let's All Get Dead Together," there's a choir, and you know, uh, partly we recorded it in Abbey Road. We had this you know wonderful choir, but also we we just brought lots of uh, people to my boarding school room and yeah. recorded them singing uh, "Let's All Get Dead Together." Yeah. Uh, wow. Imagine that. We we like to balance things out. Yeah. Or else it sounds too polished. And we wanted to make a hi-fi album, Mm -hmm. but uh, and we did it all. You know, we we did it on tape because that's the the best way to to reach that. You know, Mm -hmm. to reach that outcome. To make a hi-fi record. A lot of people use it as a gimmick today. Mm. Um, We we think you know that that's the the only way to get that hi-fi sound. But even with that hi-fi sound, you gotta balance it out. Some things that are a little rough. Yeah.
0: Wow. It sounds like, I mean, obviously, so dedicated to, you know, the dedication going into this record is yeah. incredible. But I guess you also must feel incredibly lucky that you are in a, or were in a position to be able to give yourself that time to make that, where I guess some other bands in your position may feel that they need to rush it for various pressures that are no, out of their control.
2: We never felt like we have to rush it. I think when you, again, when you, when you have a vision and you don't want to compromise, time is irrelevant, because mm. you you can't limit yourself if yeah you know and and again it's with everything it's even with the artwork, yeah, we had a dead- like we had maybe fifty deadlines for this album, the album was supposed to come out five years ago, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I think um, <laughs> I think a lot of people today they they have
1: a very short term vision, so you know they might finish an album uh, in uh, half a year or whatever, maybe in a week, maybe they'll write a song every day mm-hmm. but uh You know, who knows, maybe that song will survive. But a lot of the times these songs don't survive. They fade out. No one cares about these records years later.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Because where there is no vision, the people perish. That's right. That's what it says in the Bible. Yeah.
0: That is a a really good point actually, I guess. A lot of people maybe work in, you know, much shorter time frames and think about what's kind of not necessarily popular because obviously it's their own art, but what's kind of relevant to them yeah. in that moment so yeah. to stretch out over such a number of years where your even personal tastes in music yeah. could, take, yeah. could change so much
1: i think uh it's fair to say that uh we've reached uh, a new low in uh, rock and roll bad taste <laughs>
2: over the past few years yeah i think so yeah <laughs> um but yeah we're not short-term visionaries and we also our ambition was to create a timeless record mm-hmm. um and i think we've We've managed to do that. We'll see in a thousand years, but we hope that <laughs> we hope that this record will, you know, be command for a thousand generations. Does yes. that
0: does that add pressure to you though to the, to feel like what if you never make anything better than this record?
2: No, because we already did.
0: Okay.
1: Yes, that's right. The second record, um, and uh, I think that uh, we just believe in everything that we do so much mm-hmm. that. Uh, as long as as you can write good songs, and that's all that matters. It's just all about songwriting, and I think this is just no songwriting. So, uh.
2: yeah, I have to say, doing a lot of promo this week, and we've done a bunch of interviews, and um, we hear a lot that our music is nostalgic, and I actually don't think our music is nostalgic at all. I think production-wise, um, there's nothing retro about it, but I think people. Because there is songwriting, they associate with with seventies with music. Because seventies was kind of the climax of songwriting, and mm-hmm. you don't really have songwriting nowadays. I don't feel like. Um, no, you you have you have a short term songwriting. songwriting. You have yeah, songwriting
1: yeah. Uh, about uh, the headlines and newspapers, and you know, and these disappear very quickly, and mm-hmm. and with them, the, these songs will disappear. Uh yes.
0: So, do you think? is your kind of approach then not to necessarily write about you know almost like there's a lot of music out there at the moment you know that's particularly in the last few years that has been very politically focused mm. maybe like do you try and steer away from themes like that i think yeah. commentary
1: i think that at the end of the day what survives are are the uh, the big eternal themes i think hence the fascination with the bible mm-hmm. god um it's a fascination with the, you know, it's it's more of a poetic fascination, you know, as far as the music goes. Um, I think that these kind of characteristics like timelessness and universalness in the in the Bible are uh, should exist in a in a song. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, and they don't in most of the songs currently. Uh and um and that shouldn't be the case. Because things like death and love and life mm-hmm. uh, will always stay relevant. And politics. You know, I think uh, many songs, some of the greatest songs, are political songs. But actually, they are—they are at the end of the day—they are love songs. I think every good song uh, is is a love song in its in its core.
0: Is that something that you look for in kind of your personal kind of music taste when you're listening to other musicians? Do you look for themes that maybe aren't, you know, kind of maybe typical? Should we use that word of? What's kind of been coming out recently? Do you look for those kind of more long-standing, kind of timeless sort oh, of pieces?
1: Frankly, I don't. I don't listen to uh, to so much music. I must tell you, I, I, uh, you know, I love Elvis. Mm-hmm. I listen to Elvis a lot, but I don't really listen to
0: a lot of music. Is that because you're so concentrated on what you guys are making and kind of creating, or you don't? Do you feel like being overly influenced by other people's stuff at all?
2: Uh, I think he has. Less to do with being influenced, it's more about... uh, I mean, when we were making the album, because we were so focused on what we were doing, you almost don't have the energy to listen to a lot of music. Yeah. So I I was listening to classical music mostly for, I don't know, two years. Um, Partly because I wanted to learn how to arrange, but then also because it's the only thing that um, I could fall asleep to, really. So. I think that...
1: And also, yes writing this album I, I found that uh you know theology books were much more influential to me than than some records mm-hmm. you know
2: yeah that's just that's just
0: the way it goes it's, in, it's interesting it's really interesting because obviously usually you'd have someone come in here and obviously talk about all the musical influences that inspired them from across you know a vast catalogue of music from their personal collection or whatever or right. maybe from their peers even um so it's interesting to have a bit of a different. Kind of thought process on that and also that you guys have clearly been so kind of focused on your own kind of creations and art which has obviously been hugely important to the wealth of yeah you know themes and and things that are explored in your album
2: uh, i shall say that when we finished the album i did start listening to music again which okay. which was nice so so i think it has to do with the process when we were making the album we yeah. were just a bit yeah focused on what we were doing and, yeah. and when you have um a bit of free time you can
0: Get
2: so back at it. Yeah. something else, yeah. Well,
1: also, uh, Zdar, our, our friend Zdar, mm-hmm. who, who makes the record, introduced us to lots of uh, music that we didn't used to listen to as well. I mean, he, he really introduced us to pop music, and I think that you'll see that on the second record. Yeah. In okay. a way that no one yeah. else did, you know? But, uh, wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you guys uh, wrote, arranged, and produced the record, and yeah. as you mentioned, the late Philippe Zdar... Uh, mixed it yeah that's right um, he very sadly passed away I think just before or just sorry well, just after your album a, was finished
2: a day after we finished so wow it was pretty pretty, yeah.
0: pretty in- that must have been an incredible incredibly surreal time but also obviously incredibly difficult and very very sad time do you yeah how do you kind of reflect back on that period now uh,
2: it, it was very surreal because we I mean the, the whole thing we wanted to work with him Ronell didn't even know his music, which is also funny. We wanted to work with him because we met him in Paris, and we just got along in in a minute. We we're mm-hmm. best friends, and it was obvious that we don't even have to. When we met, we didn't really speak about music. It was obvious that we like the same stuff. We like the same films and music and art, and we just um, our friendship formed over all of that, but also um, it formed on on just having fun cooking and doing things like that which which we didn't really have with with anyone so yeah. and and we went to paris the, the initial idea was to go to paris for two weeks and finish the album and we ended up staying there for um i don't know two and a half months because wow. not because we were working every day just because we were friends we're having and just a good
1: time having yeah. a good
2: time yeah. Yeah. which was also the first time in the process of making this album that that i i can't describe his suffering it was the best time because it was just fun um absolutely so of course yeah so it was very and and he was uh i could say the the, the most influential person we came across you know um yeah obviously he's you know death em- emphasized that but um yeah it was very surreal we f- we finished the album and the, the accident happened and we're we're um actually on our way to uh to Italy to celebrate finishing the album so it was and then he was kind of uh, he knew about the trip and he helped us to whatever choose all the restaurants we'd go to so he was kind of part of that trip yeah so the whole thing was um yeah still still is we we think about it every day
0: yeah I guess you must feel that in a way you know how lucky you are to have met him when you did and that he's got a there's a piece of him on that record because of course yeah he
2: he, he changed our lives forever so um, I guess that everything that we do in the future is, is you know, he's, he's in there in a way, it's mm-hmm. like his spirit is there. Um, um, and not just music, just like when I say changed us, I, I don't actually, I'm not even talking about music. Of course he had his musical influence on us, but it's a little more than that.
1: It's, yeah, as, I, uh, as um, I've written in the poem uh, about Star uh, titled uh, A Kaddish Over Death. Uh, he's the angel with a parachute that inscribed her name in the book of life. So
2: yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we both uh, agree that we started living after meeting Star. Mm-hmm. I think we were not alive before. Yeah. So yeah.
1: and yeah, it was two months, and
2: it felt like a like a whole lifetime. Yeah. You know? Wow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A real connection.
0: Yeah. Real brothers. Amazing. Yeah. How how kind of far into the, the seven-year
2: process, did you, at what point did you meet him? Um, so we... Just before we went recording in L.A., uh-huh. we were in Paris, and um, I had a feeling that we will just get along because we have some uh, friends, mutual friends, and um, we had maybe 10 minutes before we had to catch the Eurostar back to London, and we went to Motor Base, his studio. Um, it was funny because we were actually staying the whole time in an apartment next door and we had no idea that he was next door to us. (laughs) So when we got the address for the meeting, I was like, wait, that's our address. And he actually
1: saw us before he told us that he recognized us just Uh, walking around there and he knew about us because the label center music
2: over, I guess. Uh, So yeah, that was just before, that was like year number uh, five or six before we went to record in Los Angeles and we had 10 minutes with him and we just um, hit it instantly. We were just like best friends and it was obvious we, we didn't even talk about the mixing, but it was just like, when we left, it was obvious that we'll be back in Paris in a few months. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, and he was, the whole time, we were still, uh, we are speaking on the phone and texting, and um, he, he knew what we were up to in the process, and how was uh, the LA recording sessions, and... We went back to London to do some orchestra stuff, and he was aware of that, so he he was kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, and uh, also
1: by the end, he also said that he was the only person in the whole world that could have mixed this uh, this album. Absolutely, himself said that, and I absolutely agree because no one else, you know, anyone else would have had a you know nervous breakdown followed by a cardiac. He
2: almost he almost had a nervous uh, breakdown because when we arrived in Paris for the first time and gave him, you know, we recorded again seven years. So you. you have so much and, and the, the tracks in terms of production, it's kind of a, we had this vision of creating a wall of sound, uh, but a wall of sound that will, is a little more in terms of instruments than the kind of classic 60s wall of sound. We wanted to have this futuristic wall of sound, mm-hmm. meaning that some tracks like He Who Makes the Morning Darkness or Let's All Get That Together, they would have 350 tracks on them so like three just just percussion would be i don't know 50 tracks of bongos and tambourines and then how the hell do you mix that it's just it's messy and it's yeah like and doing everything analog on a desk where you're limited you know with the number of tracks it was um very challenging
0: yeah
2: and i don't think anyone could um yeah could have done that besides him also he's his way of working was great because he was... Every, everyone that... We've met a bunch of people before and everyone was very technical. Mm-hmm. And he just mixes with his heart, as, as cliche as it sounds. He he doesn't care about the technical stuff. He doesn't care about limiting and, and you know, if something is... Um, peaking picking yeah, or like he over... He doesn't care about yeah. it. He yeah. loves it.
0: So it's like a much more personable um, kind of personal take on... Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: And, and very physical too, seeing him... Working in the studio, he's very physical. He's almost like it's the Olympics when you look at him. He's moving all around. He's like, his hands are just like flying in the air. He, he's not afraid. It, like everyone that was involved with this album, I have to say, wasn't afraid to push things to the yeah. limit. Yeah, uh, even which is our, our
1: friend Michael, Michael Harris, he was the engineer and he was the same. He'll just Push the machines to, to you know to the maximum. He, yeah, you know, he'll and uh, treat the machines yeah. as if they're a human
2: being. And most uh, engineers are very yeah. technical and like, oh well, that's the limit. You can't. Like, why can't you? Maybe we'll create a cool sound or
0: yeah.
2: or or maybe we'll also blow up, which happened to us. Like we blew up a bunch of um, tape machines and heavy gear, but yeah, actually that's... it happened
1: to us from a lot of times with shows as well. You know, we blew up monitors. Yeah.
2: <laughs> really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh my god! Have you guys ever played at Rough Trade?
2: no no we've never played here
0: but um we, we
2: don't have, play we a lot of shows watched
1: our, we've watched our our friends uh david keeves and jade play here that they, uh they're in this band called Unloved. yes which, which are the greatest band in the world yeah apparently. and
2: that's an example of uh modern music that we very much like i mm. think they're keeps, um keeps
1: music today from being a criminal felony yeah,
2: yeah. The, their record is um unbelievable yeah fantastic yeah. guilty of love it's called it
0: yeah no, we had that. That must have been, was it 2018, 2019? It's uh, kind of off the back of, it was the killing. The kind of music that was in Killing Eve, right? Uh, it, was a, it, was a yeah. it was a while ago. It was a while ago, I think
1: so. Yeah. But since then, we watched them play. They played one show in London. Okay. Where was that? Do you remember?
2: No. It, was one, but it, one, it but one of the we, greatest shows I've yeah, watched. Yeah, they don't
1: play very often. But we actually had some of the people that played on, our, on that record, in our record, uh, recorded in the same studio, in fact, okay. in Los Angeles. Yeah uh we worked with some of these musicians the greatest session musicians in the world
0: yeah you mentioned you've worked it sounds like you've worked with such an eclectic and broad kind of mix of people and obviously working with Zadar and you mentioned your engineer but I wanted to touch on um just the two of you and could you imagine making music with anyone else other than each other and how much does being kind of brothers and siblings kind of contribute to your songwriting and your kind of vision for this project. I imagine that was quite integral to it because you obviously have to share kind of a, yeah, a joint vision.
1: We always quote uh, the Psalms, uh, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. I think we feel this way very much and uh, this whole band is founded upon, uh, you know, the
2: family. Yeah. yeah, family. In fact. Uh, yes,
1: that's right.
2: Yeah, we, yeah. I, I would never um, be in a band with anyone else, and he he can say the same. Um, and we always say that we wish that we had more siblings, so we can have a you know a full yeah. orchestra or something, a drummer at least, you know, yeah. something. Yeah, something. But, yeah. something. Uh, could have been the Jackson Five, but <laughs> it's only the two of us. Um, but in terms of vision, it's interesting because we really do have incredible telepathy. We share the same vision. Um, I don't think we ever argued about music mm-hmm. and we barely argue about anything else. So mm-hmm. everyone expects this kind of, uh, uh, you know, brotherhood drama. Yeah, um, they but love they actually, that. But actually, really know, love we, that and we, know,
1: we, they always ask us, you know. if We get into fights, they ask yeah. us yeah. We had this radio interview and they said, uh, do you hate each other? But said, absolutely not. So <laughs> we don't hate <laughs> each other. We <laughs>
2: get along very well. In we fact, we, um, we, you know we have a great working relationship too because we live in the same building but we have two different flats so we spend a lot of time with each other obviously mm-hmm. um and yeah it makes it it makes it easy to be honest uh, i i don't see myself doing music with anyone else and that's part of the again part of the seven year process is because when we started um you know we met a bunch of people like producers arrangers and the more people you meet the the more you realize they, they. I have to deal with him. Like they, they cannot do that. Like mm-hmm. we have something between us, which is great. If you let um, a foreigner in, it can kill the project. It's like placing dynamite under the foundations of of the record. Mm. Um, and really, the, yeah, the only two people who were uh, really involved in this album is the engineer Michael Harris in in California and and Star in Paris, mm-hmm. um, who were like our brothers. So that was very special.
0: Yeah. Um, and people that you clearly like entrusted yeah 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 your,
2: yeah, your yeah. art yeah
0: yeah. Um, you touched on the album artwork um, briefly, and I wanted to talk to you about it because it's like this really striking portrait of you guys. Um, yeah. And I wanted to know who created mm-hmm. it and kind of where that idea came from.
2: Um, it was, it was painted by an artist called Maxim Kantor, who's um, a Russian painter that we like, and we had. The idea of him doing the artwork, which everyone was against because they thought it's it would be impossible to get him.
1: He usually does stuff for the Vatican. Yeah, uh, so wow. uh, he did some stuff in yeah. college at Oxford. That's okay. how we that's how we heard about him. Yeah, uh, yeah, and everyone told us that there's no way, but we, you know, that always makes us w- want to get determined. something more. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: motivates uh, us.
1: Uh, and so uh, we, uh, for months, try to get a hold of him. Uh, we didn't give up. We would just call and call and eventually answered. And uh, he invited us over. Uh, and we sat for
2: him for for months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And
0: in the same session every time?
2: Uh it, it, it was it was it, different it, sessions it, but it, yes. but what happened was again, uh it's one of those stories where we were supposed to go for a week. Right. And it would, we just became I guess all of us obsessed with you know, creating a masterpiece of a, yes. of an artwork. And it took a few months and it was the classic uh, Sons of Raphael move where it happened to us with the album. Like we'll have people who are coming in who we want to collaborate with. So it could be session musicians or a painter. And we tell them that they're the only one that, you know, can do the job. Like we have to get, only this guy can do the painting. A life because, or death? situation. Yeah because yeah. if, if if he's not doing the artwork then there is no artwork and we're not going to release the album and Wow! to that kind of extent but then when, when we get the people um, we express dissatisfaction the with their work and we criticize them and we challenge them mm-hmm. and again it's because we have a very specific vision and at the end of the day everything works magically because they appreciate even if there's a bit of a conflict or drama yeah, uh, it always ends up well and you know We'll always stay friends, Um, and we and we get to fully realize our vision. So, so this is why the painting took uh, so long.
0: Yeah. Wow. Because we yeah. What an amazing! I didn't realize. And now I have to
2: uh, every day that I wake up, the painting is in my flat. So.
0: I was going to ask you. It's a bit traumatizing in a place there's only one original. Uh,
1: yes, Laurel. I think I've done yeah. enough of this painting, I carried it, you know? We are not yeah. carried for 14 <laughs>
2: hours on five different trains while the painting was wet, so...
1: I don't want to hear about this, you know, I don't want to hear about the painting, so as long as it's in Laurel's place, I'm, I'm happy. Sometimes I, I, I go there and, uh, and I look at it, mm. and that's it.
2: Someone you know? asked me the other day... I think we look demented. We do look demented. and someone was asking This
1: is me, how we look in real life, by the
2: way. And you can testify this to yeah. the <laughs> audience. You can say this is what we look like. Oh I
0: don't we want to say that. Put on a mask
2: usually. We, we had we had a French interview the other day and he asked us who are the two characters in, on the albums like isn't that obvious. Really?
0: Yeah. Oh.
2: It was it's obvious. I mean that I it's didn't us. even
0: think about that it the fact that it wasn't you. I was just no. like that's definitely you guys.
2: Well,
1: you know the the good thing about it is that it actually gave Laurel this this idea for the video that we did for Siren Music. You know, oh that, that's right yeah so we ended up doing prosthetics because we wanted to become these characters from the painting of course the the video came you know long before the you know the album was released mm. and no one knew that that, that that was the but it was based on the
2: painting but, we wanted to yeah we wanted to become those faces um and we did we, we became these characters yeah. actually and uh it was wonderful we really really
1: uh, uh felt like we that that we became that we were going from one to yeah. one side and I, th- I think
2: we're portrayed as outcasts in a way, and we feel like outcasts sometimes mm-hmm. in, I guess, the entertainment industry.
1: Mm-hmm. I, think in, I think nothing changes, you know, in, in the same way that uh, when, when we were in schools, uh, you know, we, we felt uh, uh, strange. Okay. And yeah. I, I think that we always thought that once we, uh, you know, we go into the entertainment business, then we'll, we'll feel more welcome.
2: Uh, I don't know why, every time we, we talk about the outcast thing, I think about one instance where me and Ronelle went to... Um, there was a party at, at um, some club in Mayfair, right? And mm-hmm. and it's a members' club, and we came from a show or a shoot, I don't remember, but you, you had to wear a tux. And we didn't have a tux, obviously, because we just came from somewhere. Um, and as we were standing outside, and whatever trying to figure it out we saw all the people that we know in this business basically coming in with their tux yeah and everyone is like looking at us like we're the two outcasts and it was just it was kind of you know that whole idea basically is is happening within those five minutes like everyone that you know and everyone who pretends to be your friend too is like all these people are just coming in and they're walking inside and they look at us like oh they don't have a tux whatever yeah um, oh, I
0: think embrace your individuality or we Well, we ended up going in. <laughs> we ended oh up yeah, going in. <laughs> we were
2: the only two people with T-shirts, so there we yeah, go. Yeah, we persuaded End
1: them. It. we were very good at that. <laughs> good at getting what we want. Yeah. Oh,
2: but we yeah, but of course we don't care about um. I, I think we're very much embracing our, um, you know, our own, individuality, mm-hmm. uh, and again, this is why it took seven years because. That's us.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. But that's that's a really cool thing. There's obviously so many Thank you. young musicians out there who are starting out or in a similar position to you who may feel either not as confident or more pressured to conform to something that isn't really them. And then, yeah. you know, it takes years to work that out and have the confidence to kind yeah. of be themselves. So, yeah, I applaud you for...
2: Sometimes it gets us in trouble because just before lockdown we were playing our, I guess, last show and we showed up at the club and we just, you know looked around and we said no said no way we don't want to do this and
1: then all our management was there and the record label and we just said we're we're not going to do it and we left
2: we We haven't played a show since didn't like the energy in the club (gasps) okay it didn't feel right you know yeah uh, so
0: I hope you find good energy in Rough Trade one day oh thank you I I, I think
1: we will we'd like to but right now we're actually focusing on a a business we're opening a string of parking lots in Los Angeles a string of parking
0: lots yeah oh my god yeah did not see that one coming
1: yeah <laughs> well, you gotta make some money
0: yeah okay somehow um i was going to touch on live though purely because your album comes out exactly one month before the restrictions in the uk are kind of lifted and live music can kind of come back mm-hmm. um in i mean normal in the normal kind of form we all were used to um are you kind of Hopeful about the possibility of traveling and touring in the next 12 months
2: we're well, always um, hopeful yeah but uh until that time comes we' are believers we, in God we must be hopeful mm-hmm. yeah
1: but anything so that's that's one of the things yes of course we are I think that uh, this whole thing of not playing shows it's it's like uh, something just dies mm-hmm. dies in you it's a part that dies when you don't play for such a long time mm-hmm. oh, yeah. I can't wait to perform again
0: yeah well we can't wait to. See you guys and hopefully, as I've mentioned, probably three times now at uh, Rough Trade.
2: Um,
0: but <laughs> Done con- deal. <laughs> You've got it. I've booked it. Huge congratulations again on the record. Thank um, you. It's seven years. Very well spent. We love it. And um yeah, could you pick a track from it that we can play? play out
2: Perhaps
1: let's all get that together. Let's right? all get that together.
2: That's, Maybe that's, yeah.
1: that's yeah.
0: the one. Okay, cool. We'll do that one. Sons of Raphael, thank you very, very thank much. Thank
2: Thank you. Oh, have you led to me when you said
1: this planet?